Boys and girls just want to have fun, work so hard, always on the run, on the drive home when the day is done, listen to a little Promoter 101. Steiny the man, the myth, the Jew, always knows how to assemble a crew, asks the tough question what folks have been through, flashes a smile and lights up the room. Luke's so much more than a first-rate mate Got a beautiful mind that makes him great Serves up the news and the hot tour dates And you know I love him because we are Penn State <laughs> This incredible adventure may be coming to an end But as we look back at the time that we did spend We can say this podcast did truly transcend Steiny, Luke, we are all proud to be your friends All right, Promoter 101. Now everybody sing with me like this. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Keep that going. Promoter 101. Keep it going now. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 
And of course, that's APA's Craig Newman playing the song he wrote and performed as the show's theme. That's right, Andrea. It's our honor to look behind the curtain of the past three years of the show, the best and the worst moments, what didn't make the air, and how Steiny, Luke, and Connor built this industry staple from a hashtag into a must-listen podcast. Now, this is not the normal show. We don't have a featured interview, but we do have a lot of the industry players in the room that took part in helping make the show happen. Not to mention Connor, Luke, and Steiny will be joining us as well. Ladies and gentlemen, live from Nashville, it's Promoter 101, the Fairly Well episode. Hey, it's Stephen Shaw, and congratulations for an incredible Promoter podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the guys behind it all, W. Luke Pierce and Dan Steinberg. (laughs) Happy to be here. Thanks for being here, y'all. So not only do we have the core of the podcast, Dan, Luke, Connor, and Craig, all here today, we are also joined by much of the extended podcast family. That's right. From AEG, Jason Bernstein, CAA's Brian Hill, Eventbrite's Jeff White, the Tacoma Dome's Kim Badir, Light's Aunt Taylor, ICM's Rick Farrell, Vector's Brian Pinnix, author Larry Butler, and Nederlander's Jamie Loeb. And of course, Dan's business partner, Emporium's Jason Zink, and Luke's business partner works as David Britz. Let's start with Britz, who's always on time, and Jason Zink. (laughs) (laughs) Seemingly, you guys have both been pretty supportive of the show. Maybe I should say surprisingly. Was that always the case, or are you just jumping on the bandwagon as it got hot? Yeah, we're always supportive uh, of the podcast. Anything that can take up some of Dan's time uh, would be great. Dan's the energizer bunny of the concert industry, so he just has a boundless amount of energy. So anything that can take up any of his time is generally a good thing for me. (laughs) I definitely was supportive of the podcast from the beginning. I always thought it was a interesting idea for Dan and Luke to get in and felt like Luke would be a really good foil for Dan and be able to center him and give him a different perspective. And how did each of you find out about it? And did you think it would evolve into what it's become? So I found out because I was at Dan's office in uh, in Seattle and I'm looking at his desk and he's got these big boom mics on either side and these are clearly not just there for the moment. These are installed. And like, Dan, what are these? kind of looks up and says, well, those are uh, for the podcast that I'm doing. I'm like, podcast? I said, yeah, I, was, uh, I didn't tell you because I was afraid you were going to make fun of me, which I would have. <laughs> <laughs> so I started to realize that this was a thing when Dan started traveling with audio gear, which added an extra... 30 plus minutes to our travel whenever we were in airports together. I still get through the airport quicker than you do. I always thought it was a CPAP machine, Dan, so I was uh, happy to know it was a recording device. Now, David, Dan and Jason have a 50-50 partnership, but Luke actually started as your assistant. So were you ever concerned about what he might say or do? Knowing Luke the way I do, I never thought that he would put himself or the company in a bad position or in a bad light. The only thing that I thought of was, hey, this is something that can be really good for us from an exposure perspective, because, you know, on a weekly basis, people are hearing, thinking, and talking about works entertainment. You know, and that consistent and constant name recognition is only good for us. Last chance, Luke. Want to fuck it up? We probably did say some things. They just probably (laughs) never made them on the air. But, you know, Connor Merritt protecting us a little bit there as a of counsel on the podcast. Jason and David, would you say the podcast has opened some doors for either you personally or for your company? 
companies? Uh, definitely opened quite a few doors. I think, uh, you know, Dan and I being in the room with a, with a lot of, uh, you know, managers and agents, et cetera, um, just having that interaction, um, you know, naturally caused some of those conversations to occur about routings and, and dates and, and, you know, artists we were already working with and a lot of artists that we weren't working with. So uh, it, was a, it was a really good thing and, and helped us immensely. Yeah, I echo that uh, minus the Live Nation deal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's coming. <laughs> I understand we're still building on, David. It's not too late. <laughs> For us as a company, I think there was definitely an increase in exposure, which I think for any business, you know, is a good thing. I think there was exposure for Luke personally. From a larger perspective, I think it's really good that the younger people that are listening to the podcast can hear someone in their early 30s, you know, co-hosting an industry podcast like Luke is doing and really get to learn from someone who is close to their age, you know, and I think and hope that other people do as well, especially the younger people who are getting that knowledge on a weekly basis. This is Fielding Logan from Q Prime South. Thanks to Dan and Luke for all the incredible work you did on Promoter 101. Now, from time to time, the show would tap any number of industry personalities to be guests. John Topper, Bill Kittle, China Schwan, Craig Newman, Rich Best, Seth Sheck, Colin Lewis, Rick DeVoe, Leslie Olenek, Jake Safarowski. And joining us here, four of our favorite guest hosts, Rick Farrell, Jamie Loeb, Ant Taylor, and Jeff White. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah. Andrea, I seem to remember you've hosted a few times as well and just recently took over the hosting chair and interviewed the legendary Dan Steinberg. have to say that was a great interview. You guys clearly know each other well. If you're friends with Dan, you come to expect that at some point you're likely going to be put on the spot with a mic in your hand. So it was a really nice change of pace to make him answer a few questions for a change. Once in a lifetime. Rick, what goes into being a guest host? Do you have to do anything special or just pay Steiny's bar tab? <laughs> you know, you just got to keep up with Dan, which isn't easy to do. And he's got a lot of it scripted out and planned and get through it and then get to the bar. So it was actually pretty easy. Ant and Jeff, you have both co-hosted together a few times. Are you a package deal when it comes to your broadcasting careers? Oh, should we co-answer too? <laughs> <laughs> the best part is when you fumble on one line and then fumble again and again and again. Dan Steinberg's just staring at you. <laughs> Can you take that again? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, now you've co-hosted a handful of the shows and early on you even sat in on some of the interviews. You really seem to have a knack for it. Is there any chance you'll be hosting your own podcast? God, no. <laughs> no. Public speaking terrifies me and Dan has been kind enough to walk me through co-hosting and that even when I was interviewed on the second episode, still walked me through everything and has been very kind trying to abate my fears. So, but doing it on my own, absolutely fuck no. <laughs> Is there anything more nerve wracking than the time between when you cut the episode and when it comes out? You know what? That's not the terrifying part for me. The terrifying part for me, and Connor, you are a god. <laughs> the terrifying part for me is that I'm going to fuck up something and then it's going to be out there for everybody to hear forever and ever and ever. But after Dan's assurances that that would not happen and Connor's great editing skills, the scary part for me is the lead up. Like when I do the podcast in the office, I read through it over and over and over and over again to where my office mates are like, what the fuck are you doing? So that's the scary part for me. The show is clearly known for one-on-one -on -one interviews, and we'll get to that in a minute. 
But the show also features news coverage, war stories, and of course, the segment Three Questions. Luke, where did Three Questions come from? It was a good chance for us to create some audience engagement. We wanted to give a chance to have some interaction with the people that were writing in, sending us emails, sending us tweets, and interacting to come on the show. So it was a, a great platform for us to kind of have conversations with some of the listeners, a lot of people who are younger in the industry actually wanting to ask legitimate questions that might help further their career or further those kind of interests. So it's a really cool thing. Dan, I've heard you refer to the podcast as your love letter to the industry from both you and Luke. Can you give us some color and some editorial on that? Sure. It's just the industry has been good to both of us, particularly me, and it's allowed me to pretty much do everything I want. I want for nothing. And I know there are people that work really hard jobs that don't get to screw around nearly as much. And yeah, I get to fly over the world and consider it business and hang with great people. And it's like it's really hard work. Yeah, the amount of travel has been pretty unreal, right? It is. And you know, there's certainly some work attached to that and it's opened great doors. But at the same time, it's just like it's stuff I want to be doing and nobody's forcing me to do by any means. And we thought that it was a great way to pay it forward was we do a podcast with no ads, no sponsorship, no underwriting. Not only would it keep the integrity of the podcast, but you know, it was just our way of like giving back and didn't matter what it was going to cost or whatever. It was just, like we were going to try and make sure the production was as high as possible and the guests were as good as possible and no one was going to be able to influence it with, we want to run ads. And you know, it's like, you see those shitty ads and you know, all those companies are janky. I didn't want that shit on my fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, when Dan sold his company to Live Nation, you took over the news segment completely, right? That is true. Really, the news became an excuse for me to read these 67 pages you know, white papers from IFPI and then talk about it in a very dry fashion and engage a really dark corner of the internet like the finance bros on Twitter, which is like just a really funny space to see the coverage of the music business. So getting the chance to talk about that kind of stuff became more of a kind of a hobby for me and kind of an outlet on a weekly basis. But of course, with Dan selling to Live Nation in his position, might have some access to some non-public information as well, too. So we really don't. You'd think we do, but they don't tell us shit. Uh, I think you probably <laughs> about have a to bit... go to prison for insider <laughs> yeah. trading. At least record Recognizing that and like some sort of deference, there, there might be some sort of actual legal things around that as well, too. is an, an important thing for us to kind of separate that out for a bit towards the end. So it's all good. I'm glad you're not in jail, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about my favorite part of the show, which is the war stories. Did you know that was always going to be a part of it? I don't think so. I mean, I think it kind of evolved as a segment because everybody would come in the room and have a great expose on a career or an experience. But a lot of people had these really digestible kind of bits that we couldn't really necessarily figure out how to stack together in an in a full interview form. So having that segment to come on where it's kind of a purpose story, you know, is going to be engaging was a really nice thing to just be able to add into each week's episode. So it's a nice little producer feature, I think, that Dan kind of came up with and did a good job branding. Well, I think it was a little more organic than that, too, because we interviewed Tom Ross as the first episode, and he had this amazing story about Jefferson Airplane coming into APA his first day as an assistant and him being invited to sit in the room, and they rolled a joint and started passing around his first day as an assistant, and he knew it was coming to him. And he's like, what do I do? And, you know, he hit it. But it was like, this story is fucking great. And it was like what everybody would talk about from that story. It was like, okay, we got to get more of these stories. Like on top of like the podcast, we got to just seek out some of these. And there were some amazing ones. Like Toby Layton Pope had just a great story about Springsteen and McCartney at Hyde Park. And it almost costing him his job because they did one more song. And he's like, worth it. <laughs> but these were part of the interviews, right? At what point did it become a segment? Well, we started seeking it out because their stories are hard because we all have these great stories we can tell at the bar. And then there's the other stories that you can't like put out there because it'll get you in trouble, right? 
like these people are still alive or whatever. It's not for Matt. So we start warning people in advance. Like we develop some things where there'd be this letter like, hey, you're doing this. And as a promo, we'd like to run the week before, like some fun story that you'd tell. And then we run your interview the next week to like promo the interview. And people really needed a lot of time when you ask them for a war story. Nobody's got one off the top of their head. Like they can tell you a million things, but they're like, oh, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. But when we're done, I'm going to tell you that story. We got a million great stories that nobody's allowed to fucking hear, but they're fucking awesome. Definitely a few of those things that got left on the floor that are pretty just cool stories to be in a room to be able to hear from somebody. And I'm sure they're repeated in another company too. And if you know those people, they'll probably offer it up to you if you have yeah, some, and some stories of them out there. Yeah, so as soon as those people die, we'll put that shit up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you also did a segment called Turn the Tables. How is that different from Three Questions? Well, you know, Three Questions was meant to be more about giving people a chance to have a moment of education, like ask an earnest question. I mean, there were, some of those became personal questions or questions about guests, but like that was meant to like be a technical question about promotions or we'd have people come on the podcast and ask about playlisting strategies or like something to actually do with the, the business. The Turn the Tables was kind of meant to be a chance to be this kind of playful revenge on us for asking some of the hard, important <laughs> questions. So getting people to come on the podcast and maybe turn around to Dan and ask him some obnoxious question because you've known he's thrown a fastball 95 miles an hour at your head on a few occasions and you'd like the chance to do that back to him which is kind of funny on air and dan does a pretty good job of parrying those questions i on the other hand sometimes fumble them so you did good now after 250 <laughs> interviews and god only knows how many guests on top of that to do these segments some of them must have ended up on the scrap room floor oh yeah absolutely yeah. there's a lot of war stories that didn't make the air and there was some turn the table stuff that was just so fucking boring that didn't right the thought was we'd give it to connor this raw data and be like hey this is it can you clean it up and in a lot of cases you'd come back and you like there's nothing from that that you want me to cut especially some of the master class stuff some of it was insane like emma banks who's just like i'm not touching that there's nothing i should or take people out of that whose best war story is i once got a catering buy up <laughs> there was one agent that me and luke sat with in new york and we were like three minutes into the interview and he was like i don't want to talk about that or i won't talk about him or, i don't talk about my clients and we're like Okay, well, it was great to have you on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> and the amazing thing was people don't know how long the podcasts are when they're there. So they, they just always assume that it's like whatever. So they left the room and kept emailing. It's like, when's it going to be on? When's it going to be on? It's just like, I didn't have the heart to tell him. It was like we had three minutes of him saying, I won't answer that. And it was so dry. Everything he did tell us was so monotone. It was like Stephen Wright's younger brother, which is the weirdest <laughs> fucking thing. Well, this is a good time to bring in Connor Merritt for a moment, the editor behind Promoter 101. What's up, buddy? Yeah. This guy. How much of the raw content never makes it onto the podcast? Well, it really depends a lot on the person. Mostly what I'm looking for is ums and ahs and trying to correct pacing. If there's big gaps, I'll cut those down just to make sure that everything else flows well. But if something bores me, I'll usually just fucking cut it out because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and there's these mandates where I walk in. It's just like that guy doesn't get more than three and a half minutes. He's like, it's 48 minutes. I'm like, and he gets no more than three and a half minutes. <laughs> It's like, got it. Now, are you producing the show week to week or how does it work? Yeah. So basically, Dan outlines the show every week. Then he sends a script based on the outline to me and Luke so that we can hop on the phone and record the rap together. What the hell is a rap? <laughs> <laughs> it's how we connect one piece to the next. It's the flow of everything. So all the raw pieces, the interviews, the three questions, the war stories are all done in advance. And then it's all put together in editing. And then me and Luke come through and navigate in from one to the next through our witty parte, the rap. Between Dan and Luke, who is the bigger problem on the podcast in terms of editing? Honestly, they're both pretty easy in terms of editing. We've been doing it so long that they've got it down pretty well. I mean, there's always things that I can do to improve things, but overall, they're both a breeze. Who's paying you? Are they wow. paying you? Is that what's happening? I'm surprised by that answer. <laughs> <laughs>
This is Lee Goforth. Steiny, it's been an incredible run. I've enjoyed listening. It feels like a few weeks and it feels like a few years all in the same. I'm sure it does for you too. Congrats on a long run and happy to be a part of it. Over the years, the show has had so many guests sharing their expertise and wisdom with the world. Delighted to say that we have two of these contributors here with us today. From AEG's legal team, Jason Bernstein, and author Larry Butler. Larry, I think there's a chance it's between you and Jamie Loeb in terms of guest appearances on The Great Show. Well, you know what that's about, actually, was the fact that uh, I've got a lot of war stories from my touring days, but I've rehearsed them, uh, and they're very succinct, and they have beginnings, middles, and ends. And so, as a result, uh, I don't meander (laughs) <laughs> and it works really well, soundbitey for a podcast. I think that was part of the reason I uh, appeared so often on the podcast during these three years. And I appreciate that. Pretty much got through all the war stories, I think, that were actually printable and palatable. But I can promise you right now that I'll never reveal what went on in that situation you and I were in down in Walla Walla. You promised you'd never. <laughs> you don't have to worry because I don't drink. So there won't be any loose lips sinking ships on my part. The SPCA never really brought charges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That goat swore it was over 18. And if I'm not mistaken, the goat was never really harmed in the biblical sense. So I think you're free and clear, although highly doubtful you're still welcome in Walla but then again, Dan, who is? <laughs> you know, Dan and Luke, what I really enjoyed about the podcast was the fact that, you know, initially I'm thinking, how are these guys going to take something so boring and so inside baseball as uh, the touring industry business and, and, and make it even palatable, let alone entertaining? And somehow you guys have done that. Another thing I really liked about what you were doing on the podcast is whenever, because there's so much jargon that you and I and the rest of us all know because we work in it every day. But the average person on the street or even someone who's just casually knowledgeable about the music business, if they're listening to any of us talking about what we do day to day, they're going to get lost because they don't know what we're talking about. So during the course of the podcast, you guys would stop whoever was you were interviewing if they came up with a piece of jargon. You said, let's explain that. Or they said, well, uh, Bill said this. And you said, you mean Bill Silva, right? You know, you were down to the street level so that the passerby could figure out what you were doing. And I thought that was really important to the podcast and to the success of it. Thanks, Larry. man. And Jason, you've been offering free legal advice on the podcast for some time. Do you regret that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. I'm going to take the fifth. <laughs> Goddamn lawyers. Actually, it's kind of self-serving. I think the more people know and understand how I think, the easier it is to negotiate with them and the more likely they are to follow my way of thinking and my point of view. Kind of like when a magician says a couple things and repeats them and you start thinking the same way and magically you end up exactly where they'd like you to. And how did you get the Promoter 101 Twitter account back for them? Basically, I got tired of hearing its promoters with an S. I got tired of hearing with an S. So I went on Twitter because, you know, I do takedowns for Coachella. I was able to find the account. I emailed them. I didn't get any kind of response whatsoever. No luck. And then about a few weeks later, totally out of the blue, this guy sends me a message, asks if I'm still interested. And I said I was. He wanted to know why. And I said, well, I have a friend who's a promoter and 
it would just be cool to gift it to him. The guy thought about it, said, okay. And then we went back and forth in terms of how much I wanted to offer. And I figured I had to give him enough so he'd say yes, but not so much that I'd be kicking myself. I don't use PayPal, but I asked this guy because I think he was in Malaysia. What's the best way to get you the money? And he had told me PayPal. So I asked my wife, I'm like, what do I need? And she said, just an email address. So I said, send this amount of money to that email address. And boom, it got done. And he sent me the password. So I flipped it over to Dan. And the rest was history without an S. And there are kids that play drinking games all over the nation that hate you for killing that. <laughs> Very well done. It's easy to understand why the birthdays, reissue of the week, and badass of the week were winning segments with your listeners. But what about the segments that bombed? Uh, we definitely had one early on that was pretty mean, to be honest. We would read the top three Polestar shows and the bottom three Polestar shows and then talk about those shows. And, oh, it, <laughs> well, and what's genius is Gary's here, so we found out very, and he was very nice about it but we found out very quickly that we didn't have the rights to just use his content particularly if we were going to trash yeah yeah it was a lot of shaming you don't have people. to take it out this week but don't do it again people <laughs> won't report their shows if you're gonna fucking shame them yeah but he's a really good sport about it we're like we loved it i still think it is a brilliant segment it's fun to do but probably not good to just talk about in mixed company with a microphone you know no, i think it was a great idea people probably want to hear that stuff i just didn't want you to get the data from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had to cut that one. We did try a few other segments, though, that just never worked. We tried assistant therapy. I was on a train up to Vancouver with Adam Plon, my assistant, and a couple drinks in. He was like, I want to do something on the podcast. And we were throwing ideas back and like four drinks in. It was just like assistant therapy, all the things that go wrong for the assistants. And I'll, I'll be the every assistant. And like people can anonymously send them to me and like, we'll like walk through them. And Connor was going to be the doctor psychiatrist to like help fix his problems. Including Dan not saying or spelling his name right on the podcast, which he's done like multiple times. And it's pretty funny. <laughs> Adam? Yeah. He said his name wrong and spelled it incorrectly on the Pulsar thing. And I, I feel like that subtle dig at, at Adam is, is really eating at him, Dan. You should explore that with us. <laughs> some, some I actual say, therapy I, I say respond to emails and spell things wrong all the time where Jason will be like, did you mean no? Because you approved something that we should not have approved. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, sorry. And it probably happens once a week. <laughs> it's like, he's like, read the last line of the email, jackass. <laughs> Nuance is not my thing. Now, the show changed in the final year from once a week to twice weekly. Why the change? You know, I think we we're always kind of messing around with the format of the podcast, and we knew that it probably wasn't going to be something that we we're going to do for, there was kind of an expiration date, and at some point, we were just going to run out of people that we wanted to talk to, and seeing how we had to like deliver that amount of content to people, just it became easier to kind of set up twice a week to actually get these interviews out there. If anyone has seen Dan Steinberg last year, there are two years at any conference, you've known that like he's gone back to back for like 40 hours straight of interviews, just canning some of the most crazy conversations. So it's a phenomenal amount of content that we actually have to get out there. So we were looking at a timeline and, and doing one a week, it was going to take several years to do, you know, compared to going twice a week and be able to get double the content out there. So I think people also liked it as, as being a more of a digestible format that you could listen to mm -hmm. in 45 minutes and like two commutes, like two 20 minute you know, commutes, yeah. mm -hmm. are like pretty much exactly the amount of time people have to listen to stuff the average listener. So I think getting that format down to close to like 50 minutes was also something that we realized we should probably just be doing. And by the way, we were trying to get it down to 30 minutes because the average commute is 27 minutes. You don't really want to go back and listen to the second half of a podcast. So we wanted to make it digestible in one commute. And 
there's just so much good content that Connor still got it back up to like 50 minutes each. So like we were just putting out so much content anyway, but it became kind of pointless. It was, we were putting two full shows out every week. And also put the interviews front and center, which is like why people came to the podcast too. You know, they don't want to hear Dan and I blabbing. That's like our 15 minutes of just bullshitting every week is therapy to the world kind of stuff. The real like meat and potatoes of the podcast are these really interesting conversations we get to have. So that gave us a chance to kind of highlight those things in a faster way as well. Too. Yeah. And like both of those guys said, the last six months, Dan's interviews have just started getting way more in depth. So it wasn't uncommon for us to release two shows per week that were well over an hour. And some of the guests were so good, there was just nothing that I could cut. I mean, I just wanted to hear everything. Honestly, nobody seemed to be complaining with the bonus time. So your skills and production level got better as the years went on. What happened? Yeah, I mean, I just think that when we started this podcast, for working on the concert business, Dan and I knew surprisingly little about the things that go on to like making concerts, like the gear and equipment that's required to put shows on. You know, like when I ordered up a writer's worth of production for one of my clients, I like, you know, I have a vague idea of like what some of those things are on a list, but like inputs and like recording and running Pro Tools sessions and all these like things we had to like mechanically learn to do the podcast was an interesting professional challenge, I think, for both Dan and I, because it was a whole nother set of tools and skills that like we didn't have to start this thing out. So learning by doing and watching YouTube videos, it was like surprising amount of what you can actually just learn on the internet out there to teach yourself a skill like this to go out there and produce a piece of audio every week for 45 minutes. And then having brilliant people like Connor edit us up and sound great all the time made it really, really easy too. Now, Dan, you've interviewed almost 250 people now or over 250 people. Does it keep getting easier? You know, there's a Malcolm Gladwell-ness to it, like 10,000 hours where you build a skill set and figure out comfortabilities and it's better when you're in the room, you can see somebody's face, you can see their eyes, you can see how they react to a question, if you can push further, if you need to hold back. And it really does change the vibe. But, you know, there's a good, interesting 20 minutes about almost anyone you're talking to. If you can really figure out what they're good at. And if they're really extraordinary, hours of really good material in some of these people. And it's really a matter of who you're talking to and what you're getting at. But especially if they're comfortable, if they like let down their guard and they start to talk to you and, you know, not get nervous. Like yesterday when we were interviewing Deborah for the final interview, it's like you could tell in the first 10 minutes she was a little uncomfortable on stage in front of all of her peers and, you know, poking at her career. It took a minute for her to realize it was a safe place and everybody was excited to hear what she was saying. And once she opened up, we got time for one more story. You know, it's like it was a cool way to see that transition once she got comfortable and opened up. And you really get the good things once people calm down a little bit, relax, realize that nobody's going to hurt them. I think that was one of the genius things about the podcast. There was never an email or a call afterwards going, you guys fucked us. Like, you made me look like an ass. Dan and Luke, both of you had a lot of experience with live events prior to the podcast. Did that help prepare you for the experience? Yeah, I mean, like doing panels, I think was a little bit different than doing the podcast and doing the podcast live is just a, a different level of prep that we'd have to do every week just to like be ready to go because th those are something you really can't edit up, right? Like it's got to run like clockwork in 50 minutes. You got to deliver it to a bunch of people in a room and it's not like us sitting around in a hotel room talking and having drinks and kind of letting sh stories come out and then Connor chopping it up. It doesn't quite work that way. You have to really, you know, be on your game in those rooms. And I think Having the panel experience to kind of coach and rehearse and choreograph people through that was an important thing that we like learned over time that I recall at Canadian Music Week, we had Elliot Lefko on stage. And if you just give that guy a microphone, I mean, he'll just go nuts. You just kind of have to go with the fly on those experiences and just kind of run with whatever they're talking about at that moment to kind of keep the flow of the panel going in a way that's entertaining. Dan, to Luke's point, you've been working the conference circuit for well over a decade. How are the live shows different for you? There's a lot more prep. I feel like we've got a responsibility with whoever's in the room in front of their peers to make sure they look as good as possible. And we might have to carry them. If you're doing a panel, there's seven people on there, five people on there. You can move it around in case you have a dead fish. But if you've got a guest that like isn't 
really up to the task or they get nervous, you got to carry them a little bit and set them up for some really good questions so they see the audience is on their side. And it's our job to make sure they're comfortable. And since we don't have that room to edit, at least the live part, it, it's really our responsibility opposed to when we're in a room recording, you know, it's like most of them happen in a hotel room and you're just recording and it's like somebody's not comfortable or they're kind of getting the question wrong. You can stop and clean it up and edit and fix it. But once a crowd sees it, there's very little you can do to like change the buzz happening. We had a big interview at one of the conferences where somebody said something very litigious in front of 2000 people and we could cut it from the podcast, but it was fucking out there and everyone heard it, including the guy that he said it about. So I think the question that's on everybody's mind is, is this really the fare thee well? Or are you two going to get with John Mayer and tour the country in 2020? <laughs> Promoter 101 is dead to me, baby. Oh, I think uh, it'll be a nice break to get some time back for a little bit. But we've got a couple of clients that actually produce podcasts. And I'm looking forward to actually getting to apply some of the stuff that we learned from that into, into their businesses and kind of get more hands on with, with some of the stuff that they've been doing. I've also been mapping out a few other ideas for like a more of a one serial podcast about one company. And so I'm going to try to spend the next couple of weeks relaxing before the end of the year, but maybe start outlining something towards next year. So maybe a series out there. I don't know. For now, it's an, a nice break, I would say. I think this is a nice period and exclamation point to the end of the podcast stuff for me. It's like if the right conference comes up at some point, I'll speak again. But I think we left everything out in the field. I feel good about that. Did you guys have favorite guests? It seems like you have a more playful rapport with some people rather than others. You can see that in Seth Molaski and Zinc interviews for sure. Some of the more playful interviews of some of the people that we're tight with and you have relationships, there's some back and forth and some screwing around. So you can see some of that stuff when it's like I'm hanging out with Rick Farrell and there's that vibe, you know, things about people, you know, where you can take them and where the line is with them. And, you know, Craig's always been good with that. And Hill's really good with that. And, you know, Ant is really hilarious and will play it back. So there's a lot of that stuff. But I think the fans that listen to the podcast really kind of enjoy that when you know somebody and get kind of personal. Obviously, I think we'd both probably say Rapino being a, a really cool guest in the podcast. That was a great one. But there were some awesome interviews that I really like going back to. Like Wayne Forte gives a, a phenomenal interview over at ILMC where he gets mm -hmm. personal and talks about his divorce and the effects of like the, the mental health on the music business and like goes really in, de in, in depth onto a, mm -hmm. a, a personal note. It's a very cool interview. And Wayne is just a phenomenal guy. And to hear him kind of like lay out very bluntly the challenges of working the music business was like really refreshing to hear somebody express that. I don't think that was an interview. I think that was just lunch. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but Brian O'Connell was another phenomenal interview. I always go back to that guy is just at a different level. Uh, I think my favorite is Toby Layton Pope. The genius of Toby was he was invited to come hang out with us. And we were over at ILMC and he was asked to meet with us by Tom Chauncey. And Tom told me that he was set up to be an interview. So Toby walked in and I threw a mic in his hand and we jumped right into it. He thought he was just coming to meet me and Jason. No idea. Totally played the interview straight through, did the whole thing, invited us down to C2C, hosted us the next night. And then while we were walking through, he's just like, yeah, that was interesting. I, I didn't realize that I was doing that, but like, it seemed like it came off good because I probably would have been nervous otherwise. I thought you knew you, you came to our room. You knew you were, he's like, yeah, I was kind of coming to meet you guys. I didn't know I was going to be interviewed, but no, it's fine. And I was mortified. I was like, just throw a mic in his hand. It's like, yeah, let's go. It's, but he killed it. He was amazing. Adam Weiser, Promoter 101 here. Congrats on everything here. And I think people will listen to for a long time as an educational tool for our community. The Promoter 101 theme song can get stuck in your head for days. I wish I could say more. It's called Tongue Bath and was written by APA's Craig Newman. Craig, what's with the title and how did you come up with the theme? 
Well, look, anytime I'm going to do something for Dan Steinberg, I really want to tickle his funny bone. And I was sitting at home. I had this idea, this warm music, and it needed a title, but it also needed to be funny. And I just came up with, I guess, what was the most absurd thing I could come up with in that moment. And uh, that was Tongue Bath. When I sent Dan the song, I thought to myself, is he just going to come right back to me and tell me, Craig, great song, but stupid title, please change the name. Instead, he wrote me back and goes, dude... I fucking love the title. <laughs> I knew I had a winner there. After that was all said and done and throughout time when Dan would ask me to record something subsequent, you know, a jump in song for one of his appearances, I had all these different sort of clip on songs that I could add to it. And I always would try to come up with another funny title for the clip on song, but I just could never come up with anything even close to as silly or as funny or as charming as tongue baths. The best thing is like Bernie Cahill like has it stuck in his head for weeks at a time. And you just hear him like running around catering at Dead and Company shows like promote. <laughs> Funny story. I speak at a lot of the conferences and I was doing an agent's roundtable at Billboard Live and I had this table filled with students from a university who had flown in and they were asking me questions and we were having some dialogue, some back and forth. And all of a sudden, one of the students, somehow the, the subject of Promoter 101 came up and one of the students said, oh, I love that podcast and I love that theme music. And I said, well, I wrote that theme music. And the student sort of was taken aback and said, you wrote that? I said, yes. I thought your voice sounded kind of familiar, but oh man, I love that song. It's stuck in my head. I looked at him, I said, my friend, that song gets stuck in my head too. It was at that moment that I realized how widespread the podcast had become. It was a beautiful thing to see that people of a young age had invested time into learning more about the industry through Promoter 101. And it was just sort of whipped cream on top that they liked my song. The podcast has really become known for the interviews, and some of the top names in our industry have been featured on Promoter 101. I think everyone has their own favorites, but some of mine are here with us today. CAA's Brian Hill, the Tacoma Dome's Kim Badir, and Vector's Brian Penix. Now, both Brian's, Hill, and Penix have actually been featured in interviews as well as on live podcast panels from different conferences as we, Ted, come to think of it, have been as well. Mr. Hill, do you have a preference on the panel versus the interview? I love the interview. We did it in Toronto at IAVM two years ago, right? A year ago? I don't remember. And it was a lot of fun. I like the panels, but it's not my spiritual gift, let's say. You know, I like the interview a lot better. Phoenix, how about you? I definitely prefer the interview aspect of it. We did ours backstage in the moor during a Tommy Manuel show. It was just a real natural conversation between friends. I mean, Dan and I just get on the phone and bullshit all the time. And it was just like us bullshitting like always. That one in particular is a little odd because I'd never... We got this mobile gear because we used to have to have a tech in the room set up all the podcasts. And we're like, this is never going to work. It's going to be too expensive. We're going to have to figure out a way for me to learn to record. And then somebody will fix the audio later. But it was the first time ever. But we were in the production office and they were real production guys in the room watching me run lines and it was so intimidating like trying to set up production and they were fucking laughing their asses off at me you know just like have no idea what this one does or that does i'm just pressing buttons and like trying to figure it out I'm like i hope it works and brian's just laughing he's like i'm sure it's great kim dan interviewed you at a conference does that raise the stakes for you having a live industry audience right there well i've known dan a long time ever since i was a, a milk i think <laughs> <laughs> line of the podcast. 
You're still a MILF, Kim. <laughs> well, that's very kind, Dan, but I think I'm technically a GILF now. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I probably owe this group and the entire industry apology because I think I was the one that actually started Dan on this road to ruin and fame and inviting him to speak at a panel. Gosh, a really long time ago now. But in all seriousness, it's been quite a ride. It's been my honor to watch Dan and his partners be so successful in this business, especially with this podcast. I've always admired his humor, his frankness. He's taught me a lot about the industry. I've taught him a few things along the way as well. Let's just pause for a moment and enjoy true, authentic praise. Everyone in the room has been on the podcast at one point or another. Many corporations have communications departments that watch over media and interviews closely. Did anyone have to get permission besides me to do the podcast and was it ever an issue? CAA was big on making sure communications were involved. I know Brian had to jump through a couple of hoops originally and some of the other big agencies, although Geiger was super early on, like, this is a great thing. Like, it's cool. Just let me know you're doing it. But yeah, you can do it. After listening to Mitch Rose's, I knew that the parameters were set really wide and I could say almost anything I wanted. (laughs) So it was it was easier when I just said, oh, well, Mitch did it and then it was OK. Dan, was it ever an issue to get a guest approved? Yeah, we had a couple that we couldn't slide through. We wanted to do a bit on assistance a while ago and no boss in the industry wants their assistants talking. And it became this really amazing thing that I couldn't find three assistants in the entire industry that could talk to me on the record. And it was amazing how many of my friends know that their assistants got the dirt and they don't fucking trust them around me, especially with the microphone in front of them. So, yeah, there were some things like that. Like, nope, this isn't getting out there. Now, we talked about this or alluded to it a little bit earlier, but normally shows like this love gotcha moments and airing dirty laundry. But you guys tend to protect your guests. Was that always one of the cardinal rules for you from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to make sure people are comfortable with us that not only do we not make them embarrassed, but we don't hurt our relationship with them. And the hope was the podcast was going to open doors, not burn bridges. And I, I feel like it's supposed to be educational and entertaining. It's not supposed to like, who can we make an ass of this week? And usually if we we're going to make fun of somebody, it was usually us. And usually we were the butt of any joke if it was something because we didn't want to be cruel to anybody. It wasn't really the hope. Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment of it. I feel like I was the butt of a lot of jokes suddenly on the podcast <laughs> uh, from week to week. You know, there was a lot of other forums for that kind of discourse. If you want to go down that alley, you've got Reddit, you've got Instagram, you've got a pretty hilarious collection of like social media accounts. I don't know mm-hmm. if you follow Shitty A&R on Instagram. Everybody oh, needs to I'm get on to Instagram right now and follow <laughs> Shitty A&R. It is incredible. Seven people grab for their phones. <laughs> so there's, there's already outlets for that kind of stuff in social media. And so we, we didn't necessarily want to fit that lane. And I think we did a pretty good job of being fair to the people that came on the podcast. An impressive fact, over the three years of the life of the podcast, you never took a week off. How did that happen? I have definitely missed a lot of deadlines for this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as knows anyone that is guest hosted for the podcast, because <laughs> it's Dan calling you at 10 o'clock because Luke is not doing the podcast on Thursday. Uh, and Dan did a phenomenal job of covering my ass so many times on this podcast. His relentlessness in getting the podcast out and the production schedule that he maintained is admirable from just a you know delivery perspective. Like He did a phenomenal job of doing it. I, on the other hand, did not sometimes. Jason, here's what I want to know. When Steiny sat next to Rapino for the keynote at Polestar Live two years ago, did you already know that you were going to sell to Live Nation? I don't know if I'm technically supposed to answer that question. I don't think it matters at this point. We got their money. <laughs> <laughs> 
You only have 51%. What about the other 49? I don't know. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, it's a podcast. Everyone makes up everything anyway, so I wouldn't be too worried about it. <laughs> you referred to legal? <laughs> You know, Dan got the penny, so really he's the one who gets to make the decision. Dan got the fucking penny. There you go. Fair enough. It's funny because that penny actually has gone a long way. It's like in every little thing in the world, I actually have the outweighing vote by a penny, which actually, because we're equal, that's the difference. It's the only thing that's different. Yeah, there was a lot of at stake on that stage. And, uh, you know, we'd obviously already been in, in, in a lot of discussions with those guys. So, uh, you know, the interview happens and everything seems to go well. But then, you know, about three hours later at the bar, he's run to Bob Rue. He pulls me aside and says, uh, he laughs and he says, we're still on. <laughs> God, that's amazing. Over the past three years of the podcast, you've done 19 live appearances internationally. Some of the biggest universities and industry conferences hosted the show. And normally it's the featured keynote session. Do you guys have a favorite? There's a few great panels. I think Bob Rue here at IEBA two years ago, right after Route 91, was a phenomenal panel and a, a thing to be a part of. Just the timing of it was pretty crazy that Bob agreed to come on the podcast after you know that tragedy occurred in Las Vegas in, in 2017. And to be able to address it in the room to a bunch of frightened people was, I mean, it, it was a pretty jarring event, especially here in Nashville. I've enjoyed a lot of the universities, too. You know, we got to do Philadelphia, where I grew up. The University of Arts had us in to speak with Jeff Gordon, who's always a hilarious storyteller and was going to be a great interview in that city. So I had, I had some friends that don't work in the music business that came out to that show. It was a cool thing, even though it was probably 30 below in Philly that night. It was an awful night for weather, but... A great night for drinking. A good night for drinking. Yes, it was. I think Rapino's interview was probably my, my most fun moment. Like, you're on stage and you can't go anywhere and you got to answer every question. This is going to be fun. Private or commercial? <laughs> Best question of the entire interview. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the show come from? The name of the show was Dan Ranting all the time on Twitter. In 2015, maybe 2016, just started tweeting with the hashtag Promoter101 as a means to mostly get out like subtle but anonymous insults or digs at people. And, then, and if you were a subject of whatever that was, you knew that you had in some way fucked up and to like make his list of things was a, a pretty funny thing to do, especially... The amount, I think, early on were definitely about fuck-ups that I had made in dealing together with you on something. And be like, when a manager does something, you know, silly or stupid or whatever. That was the, the butt of the joke for a while. And it became kind of just a catchy beginning of an idea and a name of a podcast. It was a great way to vent, too. Yeah, it really was. I know I was the subject of a couple of those, and I appreciated the anonymity. That's, it's always nice. <laughs> there were a couple where the agent owned it immediately, like Seth Molaski in particular. Like, there was a date where it was like they couldn't clear the venue. It couldn't happen. I made it work. I got everything. And the manager was like, well, we should just self-promote since he cleared the date for us and got PBS on board. Oh, my God. And I was just like, the symphony only moved the date off the date as a favor to me. What the fuck? And Seth's like, I'm sorry, I don't even get the commission. And I'm like, the symphony's taking the date back. Fuck you. But like tweeted about the whole thing. And it was like the manager called me. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, what? I can't screw you because you weren't about to screw me. Fuck you. <laughs> but Seth owned it immediately. And it was so awesome. Right online. He's like, yep, that sounds about something I did six minutes ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, speaking of it, we can't end this last show without a few of these tweets. So for the last time, it's time for Tweets of the Week. Do you ever want to go to a show and just watch? Hashtag Promoter 101. It's kind of the only reason we're in this thing, right? It's all about the music. Some guys like Rick Farrell who are at shows more often than they're at home. It's genius. That moment when you open the email to find not even Groupon can sell this show. Ooh. Hashtag Epic Fail. 
Sometimes it just doesn't work no matter what. When you're working from the current tour history, submit an offer in line with it and they pass because you are too far off. Hashtag promoter 101. Yeah, you got to love the reality of the agents you work with sometimes. Not you guys, though. You guys are great. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That will just about do it for Tweets of the Week. You can follow on Twitter at The Jew. I'm The Jew. Hey, this is Rich Schaefer. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Luke, for all you guys did. I think having this podcast was a great service industry, and good luck with everything in the future. Let's open it up to the room for questions. Please state your name and where you're from, and if you have a parole officer. (laughs) Jason Zink, Ernest Bail Bonds. (laughs) Luke, what does the W stand for? It's William. It's William Lucas Pierce is the full name. Unfortunately, I wasn't fast enough on Gmail to claim just Luke Pierce on it, and so I had to have the W in front of it and became a personal branding thing for a while. So. Can we go with Willie? Slick Willie Pierce, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Luke was a uh, family family that got tossed around by some of the uh, family in Indiana, so that's more the Daytona crowd, not the Fort Myers crowd. So. <laughs> Is it still W. Luke Pierce on Tinder? <laughs> yeah, you got it, yeah. <laughs> but you can you just text it. him direct, Ryan. I got I, 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 yeah. Ryan, it's actually W. Lick Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's another app. <laughs> Craig Newman, APA, also a big fan, Promoter 101. Guys, if in the coming days, weeks, months, even a year from now, you were approached by someone and that person said to you, Promoter 101 has had such a profound impact on my life. Now that the podcast is gone, I really want to carry on its legacy. Is that something that you would allow to happen? I mean, would you give your blessing to let somebody else carry the torch for your creation? That's interesting. I think Dan would be the first one to, to answer this question. I think we'd probably have different answers on this. You know, Never gonna happen, never gonna happen, never gonna happen. <laughs> it's my baby. You know, somebody wanted to create their own podcast in line with what they wanted to do, but the amount of effort and work that goes into programming it is ridiculous. The expense that's involved, the things that just don't come easily. And I would hate to see anybody do a different version of it. I don't think New Coke was a great idea. I'll just leave it as it was and just let it go. There's a lot of platforms and podcasts and shows that that kind of service, I think, what we were doing with Promoter 101. And I think, you know, this kind of adventure that was the last few years that you've all been a part of was it was cool for because we got to share it with our friends in, in so many ways. So, you know, not having that experience or connection to it, I think, makes it difficult to continue on. But I think there's plenty of other places for people to be able to kind of take this learnings and, and you know knowledge that's out there. There's a lot of other platforms doing great stuff. David Hooper with Music Business News. There's a few you know great podcasts out there already that are helping to, to service what I think is a real need for people to learn about the business and, and become familiar with some of these things that are so fundamental in our lives. So I think there's other places that people can do that for and encourage them to go there. Steiny, question for you. Will you still from time to time go on to Twitter and make your witty comments and hashtag them with Promoter 101? Yeah, I mean, the podcast is over, but I don't think me being a smart is ever going to end. <laughs> David Britz works entertainment. Was there a particular guest or a moment that you feel was a tipping point for the podcast? Was there a person where you got them and that led to another guest and another guest and another guest? You know, who is that catalyst that really moved the needle for the podcast? I think in the same weekend, we got BOC, Geiger, and Tom Windish all at Polestar. And I think off Tom Ross coming in early and Jay Marciano already being queued up. Like, I think those two interviews led to guys like those three coming in saying, sure, I'll do it. And I think once Geiger, Windish, and BOC were on board, it was kind of like, okay, nobody else is going to say this isn't cool at this point. Like, that, that's some serious credibility right there between those five guys. Can I ask Taylor White, did you ever quit or think about quitting? 
you know, anywhere along the way. Yeah, I tried to quit a couple times. Actually, I was in the script about a year and a half ago, and like Luke and Connor in the midst of like recording, like this isn't the way we're going to announce that. Let's just push it off a little bit. But they were always very encouraging on keeping it going, as was Jason. So it was like very supportive. But it was always like maybe there's like one more guy we need to get, or let's figure out the way out of this. But yeah, I think you know you get to that point where it's like it's very frustrating, or people suck, or you know, it always led to one next thing, and it was cool. Yeah, I think there are definitely some points in time where it, it felt like work, right? I mean, it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of interviews, it's a lot of like actual thought and preparation that goes into it. And to have that thing, you know, four or five times a year, you know, where you've got to like bust out of conferences and, and be interviewing people a lot is, is taxing on you too. So, I mean, it was a, an incredible commitment to, to be there and, and doing it. And I think uh, it's just a testament to the work that Dan's done and prepping some of those interviews and just getting those things scheduled, you know, it's a, pretty phenomenal. Ted Heineck, AC Entertainment. After hearing what Jason said with your ability to get into a room with Promoter 101, do you think that the access to inside information changed in a big way for you in terms of what deals might be happening or other things that you were able to gain through Promoter 101? I think at first there was some fear that anybody told us something, it might actually slow some entertainment being entertaining gossip or big deals coming up down a little bit. But I think there was a point where people realized that what's off the record's off the record. And, you know, if you don't have a mic in your hand and you didn't pick it up, you're not being recorded and anything you don't say into a mic isn't part of the podcast. If you're not there voluntarily talking into a mic, then it's not part of the show, regardless of what you told us. And I think we both always took that really seriously. Like anything you tell us, like that's important. That's that's how the business runs. Like you got to be able to be trusted. There are points though, like at the interview when you put the microphones down, like I remember pretty clearly on, on one interview that just happened here in Nashville that microphones went down and someone said point blank, let's gossip right now. And just like it became like, what do you know? Like what's going on? Like what source of information? What are you talking about? Who? What are you hearing from people about that stuff? And those exchanges are, are nice to have in the room and a fun way to connect with people after talking to them for an hour about their business. They're a little bit more comfortable talking about what they're hearing or what they might be working on. Or There were always great conversations that happened in the room that didn't make it onto the podcast. And we always drew that line pretty hard with people so that we could have a relationship outside that one interview. China Chuan with ICM Partners. So Dan, what are you going to do on your free time now? I'm going to spend more time focusing on Jason Zink's needs. <laughs> I'm going to book some shows next year. I'm going to book a lot of shows next year. Brian Penix here, Nashville, Tennessee, Vector Management. I got a question for you. Who did you not get on the podcast that you really wanted to get on the podcast? Ooh. I mean, the top is Irving, Irving, right? We yeah. didn't get Irving. We didn't get Rob. Rob Light. I didn't pay. You know, there was, yeah, there was a handful or it's just like they just didn't come together. Michael Cole never happened. Riley O'Connor was scheduled to do it two or three times and had the most unbelievable luck of like things falling into place that prevented him from doing them but so many people are so cool about we're definitely going to do it like responded totally like in but just couldn't figure out the timing like Irving had figured out the time to do New York and I literally had to do an interview with Dave Navarro for Music Cares and it was like committed to this charity thing for one minute that I can't possibly make it back and forth he's like this is the best setting but it was like Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Irving, Irving and Rob Light were two big names that, that definitely, uh, you know, I'd love to hear. Michael Cole would be great. But David Zedek would have been good. Yeah. There's a, a few big managers out there I think that would have been good as well, too. I mean, it would have been interesting. Yeah, Doc like McGee, a... we thought was a done deal, and then Kiss wound up canceling one day of their whole fucking tour, and it happened to be the market we were going to record the show in. Yeah. And I had one more question for you guys. What were some of the shocking things that you might have found out from some of the people that you interviewed that didn't necessarily make the air? You know, there was a moment, and that's not exactly what you're asking, but we did Dave Chumley in ILMC, and it got set up by Julia Franks. And the two of them knew that he wasn't long for this planet. 
And I didn't know that. So we went through the session and it was a very playful session. We played games like pick a country and I'll tell you a story. And he was super forthcoming and there are things that would get him convicted in any country for some of the shit he said. It was like, I don't think we can run this. He's like, it won't matter. And I didn't know at that moment, but when he had passed about three or four months later, I believe, it was like, oh, okay. And like they knew and Julia like totally set it up because she wanted him to be on the record. He was that personality and he was an amazing agent and well-beloved. And to that point, like they wound up playing the interview at his wake. And it was like, it was super moving. And I didn't know him super well, but it was just like, okay. It's like, and Julie was like, had you known, it wouldn't have been the gleeful him. It, you needed to not know. But it was a great thing. Write to us at Steiny at promoter101.net and feel free to tell us what's on your mind. This is the last show, unless John Mayer gets involved. We want to take a moment to thank all of our guests, especially Dan and Luke. I just want to take a second here at the end of the podcast to thank uh, everybody that's in this room with us today. You know, this has been a crazy three-year adventure. It's been Dan's baby along the way, but it's been amazing to connect and, and remind myself that we do business with just some amazingly awesome people, and, and you are among that in this business. And it's very lucky to do what we do, I think. And uh, it's very easy to forget that, I think, and get jarred by this business and, and having conversations and in-depth interviews with each of you remind me of that. And that's a, that's a very special thing. So I'm really glad to be able to celebrate this day with you and the end of this podcast with Dan, and uh, thank you all for being here today. Yeah. I wanted to take a moment and acknowledge everyone that helped with the podcast and put up with us. Jason and David were amazing at like turning their heads when me and Luke were supposed to be on calls. Thank you to both of them so much, and Elodie and Reese and Rapino and Rue and Jordan Zachary and Carrie Davis for making everybody available to us, and of course, Luke. But for the last time, we're wishing you sold out shows for the weeks to come. Cheers. Call your mother!